0: All right. well let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. And here she comes. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We ask that uh, you would be present with us. This is a revelation your Father gave to you to share with us through your servant John. And we are asking that you would be with us Here to understand correctly what you are stating about your ways and how you are going to create kingdom glory. We ask that you would shepherd us through your word tonight, all to your praise. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we spent most of our time in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Uh, which finds John in the throne room of God, and the last verse of chapter four is he has been looking at, viewing the one seated on the throne. He's describing the scene in the in the throne room of God, the four living creatures, and the twenty-four elders, and the great, and all the worship that is taking place it's important for us to review the last verse of chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And that, we tend to slide by these wonderful, magnificent worship phrases because this is worship and all oh, that sounds so wonderful, moving right along. No, this statement of worship is a declaration of God's authority in His creation and over His creation. He called it into being out of nothing. He has absolute rule, authority, right to rule over a creation that He spoke into existence out of nothing. It's His And so it's important for us to recognize, yes, this is a statement of worship, but authentic worship is also a statement of truth. This is the truth. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And we saw the strong angel crying out in verse 2, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and, or to look at it. Verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, perfect fullness of power, and seven eyes, omniscience, complete awareness, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took The scroll, because it is something he has earned. He took the scroll, not that the Father wasn't willingly giving it up, he was. He took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He is presented as a lamb. Why? Because he accomplished the taking. He prevailed to open the scroll. He has prevailed. He is overcome. Well, when he went to the cross, he was slain. Remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was on that cross in Jerusalem, he was actually nailed to a wooden altar. And while on that altar, nailed to that wooden altar, he was declared responsible for all every sin committed by any member of the human race from the fall of Adam and Eve right through to the end. He was declared responsible. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off. He bore all of this in an invisible judgment that was poured out on him until the next of the last thing he said on the cross was the Greek word to tetelestai, paid in full. I have paid off the sin debt of the human race. He has prevailed because of his great victory, because he did everything that the Father assigned to him. When he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, meaning the place of authority. In the ancient world, you had the king or emperor sitting on his throne, and to his right, at his right hand, would have been the prime minister. The fellow with the day-to-day authority to run the affairs of the kingdom. Jesus had, by his suffering, by his obedience to the Father, earned the right to that position and here he is pictured in this vision as taking that authority and of course it's being willingly given to him by the father but he has the authority to open those seals and to unroll the scroll and bring in the kingdom glory the promised kingdom glory we began our series here as i was saying to john we began our series here when Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is is God speaking through Moses at the end of his life about a lengthy expression of how God is going to bring Israel into kingdom glory. And God is very, very clear in that chapter. You, Israel, are as wicked as wicked can be. (laughs) But I am going to qualify you For kingdom glory. I'm going to qualify you for kingdom glory. And Deuteronomy 32 lays out the pattern. Lays out how it's going to happen. And as we're going to see this evening... In Revelation 6, a lot of the statements of Deuteronomy 32 are repeated. Remember what it says in Deuteronomy 32? God describes what he's going to bring on them to drive them to repentance. And he says in Deuteronomy 32, and these events, these things are sealed up until the time of the end. Then Jesus is taking the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And what's he doing? He's opening the seals that are described in Deuteronomy 32, and then we went on and studied in Daniel, where again, one of the uh, elements, and in fact it's going to be the first seal, is described also, and this is the disclosure, the coming forth of the Antichrist, the beast, and that is said in Daniel 9, that is sealed up. And Jesus is opening the seals. What does that mean? It means he is setting the events in motion. That will bring us into unrestrained kingdom glory. And he is the conquering king who is going to bring into submission every rebel. And he's going to absolutely set in place and set straight every issue. And so we see this in. in he takes the scroll and... in chapter 6 he begins to open the seals chapter 6 verse 1 now i saw when the lamb opened one of the seals by the way let me just so you can picture this in your mind normally we would think that all these seals are on one side and you'd have to open all of them to even begin on a, there's also another way of close of having a scroll Close, and that is to have the seals on the outside edge so that as you open one seal, you can open the scroll partially, and then you break another seal, and then you can open it more, and then you break another seal. And you so as he's opening these seals, the scroll is un- unrolling. When I saw, now when I, geez, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I, John, looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now I'm going to confess, there's more than one opinion on this. Some people want to say this. Well, this is Jesus going forth on a white horse to do this. I think it's the opposite. I think it's a person that John in 1 John calls the Antichrist, the replacement Christ. The Greek prefix anti can mean against. It can also mean in the place of. This is the fellow that three and a half years later is going to declare himself to the Jews to be their Christ, their Messiah. But day one of the seven-year tribulation, we have this in Daniel 9. And we looked at this. Daniel 9, 27. Well, let me uh, read verses 26 and 27. Daniel nine twenty-six, And after the 62 weeks, this is actually 9 and 62, after the 69th week of Daniel is over, and as we discussed it then, The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ on March the 30th, 33 A.D. Was the triumphal entry. And that was the end of the 69th series of seven years, which is actually 483 years. That was the day, right to the day. And then, huh? Okay, let me give you, yeah, Daniel 9... Uh, 24 through 27 is the whole thing. Uh, But what it states is that Daniel's the the 490 years, the 70 series of seven years begins on March the 5th, 444 B.C. And it states that the day that the command goes forth to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that's day one of of the years. And and the years are lunar years, 360-day years. And so we've got 483 years. 483 times 360 is 173,880 days. If you go from March the 5th, 444 B.C., that brings you to March the 30th, 33 A.D., Monday, March the 30th, 33 A.D., was the day of the triumphal entry. And when we are in this passage, I mentioned, I showed you the book, uh, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honer. It was a distillation of his uh, Ph.D. dissertation at Cambridge University in which he hashed through all this stuff. And he deliberately stayed away from Daniel 9 because he didn't want to be accused of cheating. (laughs) He didn't want it affecting him, but he worked out all these dates, and there was tremendous amount of research that went into this, but the March the 5th, 444 B.C., as I mentioned when we were, we were there, the reason they can be so solid on that date is the Persians and the other ancient cultures were, were so fanatical about not losing a day, and they would cite the astronomical signs in their government documents, so we don't want to lose a day. And so we know what the day was, and we know, and Harold Honer had already set in place. Okay, the triumphal entry is Monday, March the, uh, March the 30th, 33 A.D. And then, having those things set in place, then he turned to this passage. Okay, whew, hope it works. And it fit perfectly, no wiggling. I mean, it just, like that puzzle piece, <laughs> that final piece in the puzzle that you put in. And, oh perfect no having to make it happen it happened that was the end of this four hundred and eighty-third year but there's one seven-year period left and Christ is depicted here in Daniel 9 as being cut off after the close of that four hundred and eighty-third year but not in, inside the last seven year period and it says this in verses 25 let uh, me start in verse 25 daniel 9:25. know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build jerusalem march the 5th 444 bc until messiah the prince And that is the triumphal entry is when Jesus told his disciples, you yell it out. Tell everybody what he had, what I've been telling you not to yell out. I'm telling you to yell it out until Messiah, the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks of years. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times after the 62 weeks, the seven plus 62, which is actually 69. Messiah shall be cut off. Which he was. Four days later, on Friday, April the 3rd, 33 AD, Jesus was crucified, but not for himself. He wasn't cut off for himself. He told, what did he tell Peter? I can call 10 legions of angels. I'm voluntarily offering myself. Messiah was, shall be cut off, but not for himself. Who is he being cut off for? Us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who was that? That was the Romans. The end of it shall be with a flood. The people of the prince who is to come. So this fe- there's a fellow coming in the future who can be rightly called a Roman prince. And the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war of... Of the war, desolations are determined, then he, the nearest antecedent is this prince, then he, this prince, shall confirm a covenant with many, with the Jewish people for one week, a seven year period. What's he going to do? He's going to sign a seven year mutual security pact with the Jews. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. He's going to desecrate the temple. Halfway through that seven-year period, he's going to desecrate the temple. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate, or I think better as it says in my margin, the desolator. He's going to be destroyed. He will desecrate the temple. But when does he first make an impact on Israel? On day one of the seven, last seven-year period from, that Daniel has prophesied. Day one of the tribulation, that seven-year period called the tribulation, is marked by that signing of a mutual security pact between this fellow and Israel. And so why is he the white horse rider? Returning to Daniel to excuse me to Revelation 6. Why is he the white horse rider? Because the Jewish people think he is a hero. They love this guy. Here is a European leader on the top of a revived form of the Roman Empire. Can you say European Union? (laughs) A revived form of the Roman Empire that is going to sign a mutual security pact with Israel. And they're going to love this guy. So, Revelation 6, 1 again. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, he has the capacity to make war, and a crown was given to him. Jesus took the scroll. He had earned it. He had overcome. He had persevered to do it. This fellow's given a crown. A crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. He will immediately, he'll be conquering. He'll be going out and doing military things against the mutual enemies of himself and Israel. Chapter chapter 6, verse 3. Okay. Okay. There are no arrows because he's not harmful to Israel at the beginning. Now, it says in Deuteronomy 32, it is explicitly stated that they will have arrows sent at them, which they will in the latter half. In the time of the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years, the destruction of Israel and the Jews becomes his number one goal. He wants to destroy them. Why? Because when he tells them, while he's in the temple, my What I picture is they're giving him a guided tour of the temple. And he turns to them and he says, oh, you need to know I am your Messiah. You need to be worshiping me. And that's when the the blinkers will fall off the Jewish eyes and they will say, ah, no, we don't think so. And so destroying the Jews who refuse to worship him, everybody else is worshiping him. When we get to Daniel, excuse me, to Revelation 12, and thirteen, we're going to see, especially thirteen, the world is worshiping this fellow, and in fact, if you will not worship him, you will put yourself you're subject to a death penalty. It's going to be outrageous what this fellow will demand of every human being, and if you don't, or if you're not willing to bow the knee to him, whether you're a Jew or anybody else, you are subject to death. So here, chapter six, verse three. When he, the lamb, opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Well, what do we find in Deuteronomy 32? Verse verse 25, this is one of the things that is sealed up, mentioned as being sealed up in Deuteronomy 32. The sword, this is speaking about what God is going to be doing to Israel as well as the rest of the nations. The sword shall destroy outside around Israel as there shall be terror within, within Israel. For the young man and virgin, the nursing child, and the man of gray hairs. And so here, this second seal that Jesus opens has already been mentioned in Deuteronomy 32. It's one of the things that are sealed up. And Jesus is opening the seal. Now, remember, this is going to look like nothing but pandemonium, and absolute mess. If you're standing on planet Earth, and of course, John is looking down. He's got a ringside seat. He's looking down. He's seeing these seals being opened, and he's seeing these riders. But this is, these, this is a heavenly disclosure of events that are happening on earth. When we get to chapter 11, we're going to find out that something else happened on day one of the tribulation. Not only did Israel sign a mutual security pact with this fellow, the beast, the Antichrist, Moses and Elijah showed up in the temple and started calling down plagues on Israel to drive them to repentance and the nations. And part of that will be warfare. They're going to be calling down the things just described in Deuteronomy 32 and Revelation chapter 6. And when we get to Revelation 11... John will have changed his position from heaven. In chapter 10, he comes to earth. So he's going to give us the earth vantage point on these events. But right now, we're in heaven, and he's giving us the heaven vantage point. And so in the heaven vantage point, he sees this red horse rider coming out, and he represents warfare that is going to just go all over the planet, but it's going to be the core center of it, the activity will be Israel. Again, verse 4, another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and the people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Verse 5, when he, the lamb, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius a denarius was basically the laboring man's a day's wage in the in the ancient roman mediterranean world a denarius for a typical laboring man that was a day's wage a quart of wheat for a day's wage, a quart of wheat grain, and three quarts of barley, for a denarii. Barley is typically the poor people's grain. If you were the wealthy guy in the in the nice place on the hill, you you would buy wheat, and that would be your know, your your bread substance <laughs> would be made from wheat. But if you were a poor person, barley that's what you got, huh? You resent that, well, Jason barley. Resents that statement, but that's just, a sta- that's just a statement of humility, isn't it? You're, you're Mr. Humble, so you pick, instead of Jason Wheat, you're Jason Barley. And so we've got a pastor here of a local church whose last name is Wheat. He's the upper echelon guy, and you're, the, you're Mr. Humble. Yes, okay. All right. So a day's wage for a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley for a, a day's work. And we're not talking eight-hour days. These are, we're talking about real laboring days. And do, notice this, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, there are a couple of views on this, and the one I heard for years and years and years was, well, that's the wealthy people that have the wine and the oil, and I don't doubt that. But my suggestion is, what one of the things we're going to learn when we get into chapter 11 is that all rain stops on day one of the tribulation. All over the earth, there's no rain. One of the things we're going to see in chapter 7 is that the winds are held still. Well, if you hold the winds still, this, the, the jet stream winds, you hold those winds still, You will have evaporation and clouds and storms over the bodies of water, but it's the jet stream winds that push those storm systems over the land. If you stop the winds, you have drought everywhere. And oil, olive oil, comes from olive trees. And wine comes from vines that are cut planted, cultivated. You don't replant olive trees and vines every year. So what I'm suggesting is for at least a few years, you'll still have the production of some wine and some oil, but even that's going to taper down. But a grain like wheat or barley, that's something you plant every year. If you don't have any rain, you're not going to get a crop. And so there's this immediate uh, effect of starvation all over the earth. And again, Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So there won't be an immediate impact on some of these foodstuffs, but even those will be impacted later. Verse 7. When he, the lamb, opened the fourth seal. I heard... the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. So you've got the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and now a pale or dappled horse. A pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades, Hell, followed with him. What's going to be the impact of the starvation and the war? Lots and lots of death. Death and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them. Not him, them. Over a fourth of the earth. Who are the them? It it tells us immediately. Over a fourth of the earth. This is a fourth of the earth geographically with Israel at its center. So we're looking at Europe, the Middle East, the northern parts of Africa. The, initially, the focus is going to be on that area. And that is where the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, will be calling these plagues down. They're trying to drive the Jewish people in particular, but everyone else as well, but especially the Jewish people, they're trying to drive them to repentance. How? By judging. Okay, how many times do I have to discipline you? (laughs) And power was given to them, Over a fourth of the earth. But who is the them? To kill with sword. That's the second. That's the red horse rider. With hunger, that's the black horse rider. And with death, that's the pale horse rider. And by the beasts of the earth. Now listen to this statement from Deuteronomy 32, verse 24. Let me start, actually do start in verse 23. I will heap, this is God speaking through Moses about how he's going to drive Israel to repentance. I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them, which is what they're going to experience in the latter half from the fellow carrying the bow. They shall be wasted with hunger, the black horse rider, devoured with hunger, pestilence, and bitter destruction. That's the pale horse rider. I will, give, I will also send against them the teeth of beasts. I'm even going to incite the wild critters to come after them with the poison of, the, of serpents of the dust. I'm going to turn the animals, animal kingdom against them. And suddenly these creatures we've been kind of sort of been able to, you know, you can kind of be at peace with lions. You leave them alone, they'll leave you. All of a sudden they won't be, they will become far more aggressive. And that's, that's, that is what it says in Revelation 6, the close of verse 8. With hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar. Now, where is John? He is in the throne room of God. And here is the altar for the worship of God. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are the martyrs, those who have been martyred in this time, for their loyalty to the Lamb, Verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? So the fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs from under the altar, When will you avenge our blood? Verse 11, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed. Oh, there are more to be martyred. As they were, was completed. Now what we're going to find out towards the close of the seven year period, when we get into the bowl judgments, and that's the last series of judgments, the third bowl judgment, Well, let me back up. The second bowl judgment that is poured out is all of the seas, all of the oceans are turned to blood. And then the third bowl judgment is all the rivers and streams are turned to blood. And we find this statement. This is Revelation 15 excuse me, 16, verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they, the people who were having to drink this poisonous water, Have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. But also in Deuteronomy 32, the very close of Moses' message to Israel, he turns and addresses the nations who will be brought to blessing by Israel's restoration. This is Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he, the Lord, will avenge the blood of his servants. What are the martyrs crying out for from under the altar? Vengeance. That their blood would be avenged. He will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. That's the very close, that's the last verse of this, this message from God through Moses. That is verse 44 of Deuteronomy, verse 43 of Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32: 43. And it is clearly referenced here in this fifth seal. But it won't be fulfilled until the close. The seal judgments, and I hope you have the piece of paper I handed out to you last time. The chart. And I have on here the fifth seal is is the, uh, the one that I just read. That is the third bowl judgment. So while the seal is open, what Jesus is doing is he's disclosing the full plan here in chapter 6. But it's that fifth seal will not be fulfilled until the third bowl judgment, which is right before the second coming of Christ. It leads up to the battle of Armageddon. It is the outpouring of of the final judgments upon the earth. Leading up to this, the battle of Armageddon and Jesus' restoration. And then we have this. In verse 12, this is Revelation six twelve. This is the sixth seal and it is. Well, it's pretty speaks for itself. Let me just read it. Uh, Revelation 6, verse 12. I looked when he, the lamb, opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great. Earthquake, And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. <laughs> then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and we're going to see this this kind of language repeated in chapter 15 of revelation and 16 excuse me 16 every island and mount and every city on the planet will collapse even jerusalem will be divided into three parts earthquakes everywhere all the mountains moving Verse 14, then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, men of every level of society, no exceptions, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And they're still speaking for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. They will and as we will see in later in chapter 19. And you can read the same thing in Deuteronomy 12, 13, and 14. The heavens will be ripped open and God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, will ride out on a white horse and all of his magnificence and all of his glory and the saints of every age will fill the skies behind him riding on white horses. And he will pour out this judgment and in the entire While there's an old, when I was a kid, they called them Negro spirituals. This old world's going to reel and rock. And it's going to. This world is going to reel and rock on its axis. And every mountain and island, as it says, will be moved out of its place. And everyone who is not an authentic follower of the Lamb will be crying out to be delivered from Him. But they won't succeed They won't succeed. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They're going to know (laughs) who's producing these effects. And they're going to know that judgment is imminent to them. Why are they going to know? As we're going to see two weeks from now, when we come back next week, we will not be having a meeting what we're going to find out is there have been 144,000 sealed Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes going throughout the earth with this message. Plus you've got for three of the first three and a half years of the tribulation, you've got Moses and Elijah standing in the temple calling these judgments down. They're going to know who's producing it. And I would encourage you to go on your own time and read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. And if anything is even more graphic than the book of Revelation, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 will really get your attention. But notice the question they ask in verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who is able to stand? And I'm going to take you, we're going to just give you a preview of coming attractions. Chapter 7 verse 9. This is a vision. This is John's description of what he sees while he's there in heaven. This is 7, beginning in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing. What did they say? Who is able to stand? What are these martyrs doing, who are before the throne of God in heaven, they're standing <laughs> before the throne and before the Lamb, the very ones that those men of every level of culture and society are afraid of, who can stand before the one seated on the throne and before the Lamb, these can, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, kingdom emblem. Just as on the the day of the triumphal entry when they were waving the palm branches, here they are in heaven's own glory, waving palm branches and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne. And worshiped God saying Amen blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever Amen then one of the elders answered saying to me who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from and I said to him sir you know so he said to me these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, that's the worst that's the second half out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, therefore they shall be they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them tabernacle among the same word used in John one. And the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. Just as Jesus tabernacled with the apostles, he will be tabernacling with them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So... In answer to the question of the rebels at the close of chapter 6, the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, those who have entrusted themselves to his mercy do. Even if they are killed, they are standing. And by the way, they're very quickly going to be mounted on white horses and returning with him. <laughs> so, well, we will call a halt here for tonight. Any comments or questions? Let's pray. Our mighty God, we thank you that you are our mighty God. Your hand, as the scripture says, your hand cannot even be restrained. Nothing can even hold you back. We are so thankful for your mercy. We are so thankful that the God of such overwhelming unrestrained power Is also the God of overpowering unrestrained love for God so loved the world for God so loved his enemies that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. We thank you. We thank you so much for that mercy that you brought to our awareness, to our attention, that you might shepherd us into your kingdom. We give you all the praise in your name, Jesus, Lamb of God. Amen.